Praise God. All right. Well, uh, for those of you that I do not know yet, my name is Chris Pletcher. I'm the family's pastor here at Antioch. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate that, man. Um, and uh, it is so, I feel like such an honor and privilege as the family's pastor to get to, to preach on Mother's Day, uh, not just as a family's pastor, but as the husband and best friend to an incredible mom. This is my wife, Arlena, sitting up here in front. And, um, and so really, I feel like I have a, have a front row seat in my life right now, just in the trenches of motherhood. We have four kids. Our oldest is up here. He's, his name's Caleb. He's five and a half. Um, yes, he's our oldest. So the trenches of motherhood, I, that is like where I live my life, is watching the amazing creation that is the woman of God at work in, in motherhood. And so before we, we jump into the message for this morning, I do just want to share a few things, a, a little bit of a tribute to motherhood. I feel like I've just been, I've, I've asked a couple of my friends that, that are moms, but also just, I feel like there's a place for us all to see the reality of the kingdom of God that is on display through motherhood, okay? So what I have here is uh, five things that motherhood reveals to us about Jesus and his kingdom, okay? So it's gonna kind of share briefly here before we kind of jump into the word this morning, but um, five things that motherhood shows us about the kingdom of God. Number one is the sacrificial love of Jesus, amen? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I don't know of another calling in life other than motherhood that is so, so focused in on this giving up of oneself, this laying down of your own life, this sacrificial love of Jesus, the joy, the heartache, and the reward of giving your life away like Jesus, moms, day in and day out, whether, you've, whether that is a distant memory from you or you're also in the trenches right now, there is such a sacrificial outpouring that we see that reveals the heart of God and motherhood. The second thing is we, we talk a lot about uh, the Heavenly Father. We, here at Antioch, we talk about the Father heart of God, but I think motherhood reveals to us the mother heart of God. Okay, I'm not being her heretical here, okay, because in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created them in his image, right? Male and female, he created them in his image, okay? So there is something about the woman, the mother, the feminine uh, nature of motherhood that reveals what I believe is the mother heart of God, right? His nurturing, his kindness, his mercy, his steadfast anger, and of course his, sorry, steadfast anger, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes, let's be honest. Oh man, thank you Jesus. Steadfast love, Arlena just looked at me, she goes, anger, anger? Praise God for wives, right? steadfast love of Jesus. I meant to say he's slow to anger, right? He's slow to anger, right? Motherhood is just such a picture of being slow to anger, right, moms? Arlena's never been quick to anger, never. So we really get a glimpse into the mother, the mother heart of God. Man, we need a good laugh here on Mother's Day, right? I'm glad it could be at my expense. The third thing, 
that the kingdom of God, I believe, is a, the revelation of the kingdom in the midst of motherhood really is the delight of God and his children. You don't have to look very hard or look very far at a mother's affection for her little ones to see the heart of God in display. We know Zephaniah 3, 17, that the, the Lord rejoices over us with gladness. He actually sings over us. That is the true heart of God. He is not the steadfast, angry God. He is the God that is rejoicing over his children with love and affection. And we see that in motherhood. The other side of that coin of the delight of God is, though, necessarily the discipline of God as an act of love. And we see this on display in motherhood, that it's not that we just delight in our children all the time and it's easy and it's perfect, but there's a calling, there's a role in motherhood and in fatherhood to actually train up our children into obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see this, this amazing picture of really what motherhood a lot of times becomes where God says to his people, I am setting before you today life and death. I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse. I am setting before you the path of life, and I'm encouraging you to choose life. And so much of motherhood is that continual training of my children, my sons, my daughters, choose life, choose the ways of life. Number four, the pace of true growth in God's economy. I believe that motherhood shows us something about the speed of growth in God's kingdom, right? Because growing people takes a long time, right? What do they say? That the, the days are long, but the years are short, right? There's, there's so much care, so much time, so much diligence that, is, that goes into raising children. And I think the same could be said about raising oaks of righteousness. We see in the scripture, we're called to be, there's a, there's a process. And I think there's something for us in motherhood about the, the, the timeline of God's kingdom, right? We live in the instant microwave generation and you just can't microwave your kids. I mean, I hope you don't try that, right? You just can't miracle grow. Your, you can give your sons, Cade, you can give your boys protein shakes, but they're not gonna get as big as you any faster. It just people... People take time to grow. And in our culture where we're, we're like trying to like shortcut every process, motherhood is just like this continual reminder of you actually, you can't shortcut most of life. Most of life is a slow go journey into a future harvest, a future harvest of joy and blessing and righteousness. And number five, tribute to our moms, none of us would be alive without our moms carrying us, birthing us, and literally keeping us alive until we could fend for ourselves. So guys, let's give it up to our moms one last time here, Mother's Day. There really is, if we will stop and look for it, there is a glimpse into the kingdom of God and motherhood. And I just encourage us, on this day, it's not just about calling your mom and saying thank you for all the countless hours she, she spent raising you. Uh, it is about catching a glimpse of God's heart in the midst of it as well. Um, well, for the next three weeks here, as we kind of round out the, the month of May and head into summer, we're obviously in a time of transition. For the next three weeks, uh, Tyler, Andrew, and I, our, our elder team here at in Antioch College Station, we're going to each kind of take turns just sharing uh, what we are calling the burning word, kind of just what we feel like God has put on our hearts as we 
um, look at what he's doing here in our church family and as we pray and just, and just kind of notice uh, what is happening here in our church family. And so I'm really honored just to, to share this morning really just what I feel like God's highlighted for, for me, what, what I think he is saying um, to our church family in this season. But I have to be honest, uh, I don't know if, if you're like me, but I have a hard time staying focused on the main thing sometime. Anybody with me? When it comes to my faith in Jesus and my walk with God, it really seems like there's so much to think about at any given point in time. There's so much to so much to read, so many areas that I need or can grow in. There's so many responsibilities to carry, and honestly, it feels like it can it feels like it can be really hard to just stay focused on the main thing. Does anybody else ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever just kind of get lost again? You know, like maybe it's for half a day or for a week or for a month of God forbid a year, but you just kind of find yourself asking can someone please just remind me what this is all about? Can someone please just remind me again like what the main thing is? And I think in our world of information overload, I think that it's easier than ever before for us to lose focus on the main thing and end up on like 100 different rabbit trails. Are you with me? Even Even as our pursuit of God, we are inundated with sermons and podcasts and blogs and new books and the latest strategy for growing in your faith, right? It's just like, sometimes I just get lost. And I'm like, I don't know what to read today. I don't know what to think about today. I don't know what actually is the most important thing in my life, more, more than that, to Jesus. What's the main thing? And so as I was praying this week, the Lord just graciously led me to a passage that just rescued me from that feeling, like in an instant, just kind of rescued me in a moment. Don't you love that when the Word of God just takes everything that feels fuzzy in life and just clarifies it, like in one second? That's the power of His voice, by the way. He brings order into our chaos. He brings vision into our valley. He brings truth to just the the swirling thoughts. That's the power of His Word. And He led me this past week to John chapter 17, which is amazing because Ashley woke up this morning with John chapter 16, 23 and 24 uh, on her mind from the Lord. She had no idea I was preaching on John 17 this morning. So the Lord is doing something today. And I think at the end of the next 20 or 30 minutes here, we will probably all know what that is. But go ahead and start flipping to John 17. And as you flip there, I just, I really think that in, a, in just a few short verses this morning, we're going to get a fresh glimpse into what was truly the most important thing to Jesus. Literally, the cry of his heart to God and the echo of his prayer life. John 17, we sometimes call as the high priestly prayer. We get this glimpse into Jesus, this, this transmission between Jesus on the earth and the heavenly Father. It's so powerful. You know, our prayers really reveal What is most important to us? And this interaction here in John 17 is packed full of clarity for us. Really, I think this morning, reminding us of the main thing. I want to just give you a little bit of context. In John 17, Jesus has spent the last four chapters washing the disciples' feet. You guys remember that? John chapter 13. He shares the Passover meal from them. The last four chapters of 
John before 17, they all happen in the upper room. It's, it is Jesus and his closest buddies. And, and like Ashley said, he is preparing them for life after he leaves. He's preparing them for what a walk with the Holy Spirit absent of flesh and blood Jesus was going to look like. And it's incredible. So this chapter 17, this prayer happens after dinner that night, right before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. Are you guys with me, kind of where we're at in the story? In John 17, he finishes this prayer, and basically they go off to the Garden where we know where the story goes from there, ultimately to his crucifixion and resurrection. So this would be, John 17 would be likened to like Billy Graham's final broadcast, right? His last words, right? Anybody catch that? It's like this, this incredible life lived and this amazing man of God that had shared all, that shared the gospel and just, just seen millions of people. His final broadcast, like his last words, like don't you want to know what Billy Graham had to say at the very end? And obviously Jesus, you know, made Billy Graham's destiny even possible. So this is so cool. We're getting that moment with Jesus in John 17. So I want you to pick it up here in, in verse 6. And uh, we're going to just read some scripture together. Sound good? I want you to try to just envision that Jesus is talking to God. He's not talking to disciples. He's not talking to us. I just want you to eavesdrop on his prayer life. So if you, need to, if you need to close your eyes, you can close your eyes, but if you need to read along, but I want you to just eavesdrop on Jesus' prayer life for a minute here. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, Father, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me, Father, was from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am praying for them. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, Father, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I know that's a, a long passage, probably a little bit longer than we read in one sitting, but can you guys hear this conversation? Can you guys, are you tuning in to this, this moment of prayer? I want to highlight for us this morning in the time we have left, 
really four things that were the heart cry of this final broadcast between Jesus and the Father. Four things that were apparently the main thing to Jesus, right? That, that these were the things that he was crying out to God for in his final moments, praying for them, praying for his disciples, and ultimately praying for us. You guys know that verse that talks about how Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and how he lives to make intercession for us? You guys know that? that it's crazy. Think, we don't think about this very often, honestly, but Jesus is continually praying for you. Like, what? That's weird. Yes, it is weird, but he is praying for you, and I believe he's praying for you the same thing that he said to Peter. You remember this interaction that Jesus and Peter had when Peter, uh, Jesus said, hey, Peter, the enemy has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan is coming for you. And wouldn't it have been awesome if Jesus said, hey, but don't worry, bro, I got your back, man. He ain't going to touch you. That's not what Jesus said. He said, Satan's coming for you, but I'm praying for you, man. <laughs> praying for you. You know what he said? I'm praying for you that your faith would not fail. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is acknowledging, Peter, you're about to go through a fight that I can't fight for you, man. I am praying for your faith because you need to know, Peter, that you have the power to put the devil to flight, man. It's the power of my name, but I've given you the power of my name. And so I'm praying for your faith to stand firm. Isn't that cool? Jesus is interceding for us. He's not just standing around us fighting our battles for us constantly. He does protect us, and we're seeing that, but he is praying for us, and it's important for us to key in on what he's praying for us. The number one thing we see here, the first thing I should say, is protection. He's praying for our protection. If you're taking notes, we're going to go through four things that Jesus is interceding for us for. Our protection, why? Because 33 years on the earth taught Jesus at least this one thing, that the fallen world is hostile to holiness. The fallen world is hostile to a life of righteousness, but there is protection in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. My boys, oftentimes, I've got three boys, I said, they all share a room. They're, my twins are about to be four. Caleb is five and a half, and it is quite often, at least a few times a week, where after bedtime, one of them will cry out and say, Daddy, Daddy, and, and I'll, we'll go in there, and they will say something along the lines of, Daddy, I'm, I'm having bad thoughts, or I, I had a scary dream, or I, I had a scary thought, right? And um, so, it'd be, you know, I, there's a part of my nature as a dad that just wants to come into the room and just start, put on some worship music and just, all right, boys, hey, let, me, let me fight this battle for you here. In Jesus' name, you just start declaring, you know, binding anything. But actually, I feel like what the Lord has shown me to, to do is actually to teach them how to fight their own battles. And so at three and five years old, I say to my sons, I said, oh, man, well, if, if, if it's bad thoughts, I say, um, who gets to choose what you think about? And they say, well, we do. I'm like, well, if you're having bad thoughts, man, that, that's on you. Um, you need to take those thoughts. I'm teaching my kids at three years old. You need to take those thoughts captive and repent, okay? And, and stop thinking. And, we, and I give them this picture. Imagine that thought is like a piece of paper, and I want you to crumple that thing up and throw it in the trash can. And so they know how to do that. At five years old, they're taking the thoughts captive, and they're throwing them away. 
I'm teaching them how to fight their own battles. If they're having like a bad dream or I can tell like, okay, something is, you know, I don't think that thought came from him because we do live in a hostile territory here. Then I say, hey, buddy, you know, there's power in the name of Jesus, which is what he says, right? We see this here in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Protection is in the name of Jesus. We see it again here in verse 14 through 15, right? The world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one or that you keep them from evil. Keep them, guard them, protect them. The power from the evil influence is in the name of Jesus. And so I teach my sons. I was like, buddy, you know there's power in the name of Jesus? I'm trying to give them weapons. I could fight the battle for them, but I'd rather them learn how to fight their own battles because one day they're gonna be grown up and gone and they're gonna not be able to just call daddy, daddy down the hallway, right? We, so I'd say, just, buddy, I just want you to lay in bed and say the name of Jesus. Just say the name of Jesus until you fall asleep. And he'll do it. And he'll, I'll see him the next morning. I was like, hey, bud. How, how'd it go last night? Pretty peaceful. He's like, yeah, daddy, it worked. Said the name of Jesus and stopped thinking about thoughts and didn't have any bad dreams and, you know, slept great, dad. I'm like, come on, there's power in the name of Jesus. And so I want, I want to hone in on this first thing that Jesus is praying for them, this protection. There's an acknowledgement here in this prayer that we live in enemy territory. And we're not trying, we don't make our whole life about spiritual warfare but we have to be aware of the territory that we live in. And we have to be aware of what it actually takes for us to be kept, guarded, protected from the evil influence around us. And there's, there's a few realities to this spiritual warfare that I think is important for us to, to understand. Um, I wanna look at 1 John 5, 18, 19, and 21 real quick. And I just gotta tell you, I don't, I don't claim to fully understand what these verses are saying, okay? Disclaimer, go study it on your, on your own, okay? I just know there's a couple observations I can make from these verses that I feel like are important for us when we're talking about spiritual warfare here on Happy Mother's Day, okay? So <laughs> check it out. Here we go, 1 John 5, 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Okay, so pause there for, isn't that cool? This, th again, I don't understand all this, but I know that it says that if I'm born again of God, the evil one does not touch me. Okay, observation number one, I am born again in Jesus, the devil cannot touch me. Okay, observation number two, go to the next verse. But we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, observation number one, the devil cannot touch me. Observation number two, this whole world, though, lies underneath the influence and, his, and the power of the evil one. Okay. All right, are you guys seeing it? So, so we live in a realm that is under the influence of the evil one, but we're told that, he, that God will protect us and he can't touch me. Okay, so a couple verses later, though, the last verse of this entire book in verse 21, he says this. Little children, keep yourselves or guard yourselves from idols. Again, I don't understand all this, but this is what I see, okay? God 
will guard me from the devil, but I have to guard myself from idols. And if I let an idol into my life, if I align myself with something that is not in line with the heart of God, then even though God would protect me from the evil one, God could keep the evil one from touching me. That doesn't mean that I can't reach out and touch something that is evil. You guys with me? So I think that um, we're like, man, I thought God was supposed to, and I don't understand this whole world. I'm not trying to say I understand all this, but I'm saying I think that some of our, uh, some of the things that the anguish of darkness in our lives, I think sometimes it's self-inflicted. And we're going, I thought God was going to protect me. Well, yes, he's going to protect you from the devil, but only you can keep yourself from an idol. And if you have some unhealthy partnership with an idol, you're opening yourself to all kinds of things you don't want to be open to. And I am with you. I fight this battle my entire life, okay? So, spiritual warfare 101, here you go. The name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. If you want to live a life where you're like, I am partnering with God's protection over my life, it's the name of Jesus, it is the blood of Jesus, just declare the blood of Jesus over your kids at night. Declare the blood of Jesus over your house. Declare You go stay at a hotel out of town somewhere. You don't know what happened at that hotel last week. Declare the blood of Jesus over your hotel room. There is some, there's power in the name. I know I'm belaboring this point a little bit, but it was the number one thing on Jesus' heart to pray for us is that we would be kept from evil. We got to learn how to step into that prayer. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. It's the word of God, the word of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? And it's worship. All else fails, just put on some worship music. I promise when you begin to lift up the name of Jesus, whatever it is, whatever evil influence of the world is trying to creep its way in on you, it will not be able to stand in the room when you put on some praise music and you get Jesus high and lifted up. Wish we could do a whole seminar on that, but there's just, you know, some little things here and there to, to, to come in line with God's protection. The second thing that he prays for there in verse 11, he says, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be, you see it, one. So he prays that, that we would be one. This is the second thing that he prays for. He prays for our unity or, or our community, which community just means a common unity. What he's actually praying is that this room right here wouldn't be a room of individuals. It wouldn't be a room of many people, but that, you, that we would be one, that we would be unified in a, in a common unity to one another. And we see down here in verse 22, check this out in John 17. The glory that you've given to me, I have given to them. Pause right there. What? The glory that God gave Jesus, he has given to us? Do you guys know that that's our job description, is to steward the glory of God? The only way that we can do that, though, is if we are one and if we are unified. The only way that we can steward the glory of God is if we are one. And check this out. He says in verse um, 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Guys, here's the thing about unity. Unity, community, 
when we get this thing right and we get rid of all of our bickering and divisiveness and this and that, and you hurt my feelings and I'm offended here, and we get all that junk out of here and we actually abide in a common unity together, it proclaims the gospel to the world. It is evangelism. Healthy community is evangelism. Healthy unity in this body declares the reality that Jesus is the one true God that was sent from heaven. Because you guys understand that there is this kind of unity that we're talking about, being able to have together in Jesus' name, it does not exist anywhere else in the world. Anywhere else you go in the world, you get a 300 people in the room, there's division, there's bickering, there's infighting, there's this and that, there's uh, bipartisan this, right? Guys, let it not be said of us. Let it not be said of us. There's a, there's a key to this unity, and it's forgiveness. It is forgiveness. Because inevitably, we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. And I wish we had more time to unpack it, but, but do you guys know if the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is that God himself left heaven, walked on the earth as a sinless, innocent man, literally under the point of his own death, and on the cross, he took upon all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness. He took it all upon him on the cross. He died in our place so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could be forgiven. Okay. You guys know that's the gospel, right? Okay. Thank you. We could be forgiven. The heart of the gospel is our forgiveness, right? Okay. So if Satan hates the church, which he does, and if Satan wants to see the kingdom of God on the earth fractured and destroyed, which he does, and the heart of this community that we have is founded on the gospel of forgiveness, what do you think Satan's number one ploy against the people of God is going to be? Unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians 2, go read it later. Guys, unforgiveness is the anti-gospel of the antichrist. You cannot divide a body. We've all seen the magician shows, right, where they cut the lady in half, right? It's a joke. It's not real, Caleb, okay? But we've seen those things where they, they like, you know, put the lady in the box, and we, we know that's not real because you can't divide a body and the body survive. So if we are the body of Christ and the enemy can come in and sever and divide us through bitterness and unforgiveness, he kills the body of Christ. Unforgiveness is the anti-gospel of the antichrist. And if you are aligning yourself with him, you will be responsible for dividing and killing the body of Christ. We were, I was preaching this in a membership class a month ago. Some of you guys were in that class, a room of about 25 people. I was preaching this, 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, that unforgiveness is the anti-gospel, the antichrist. And literally, one of the guys in the class, he, I have permission to share this, he raises his hand in the middle of the membership class. He goes, Chris, I'm being so convicted right now. I've partnered with unforgiveness. I had no idea that I was doing Satan's bidding, that I've been outwitted by Satan. And through my bitterness and unforgiveness that I'm withholding, I am partnering with Satan's efforts to kill the body of Christ. He said, I had no idea, Chris. I need to repent. I was like, go for it. He gets out of his chair in the middle of our membership class and he walks to the front of the room 
of 25 people, and he gets on his knees in the front of our membership class, and he begins to repent out loud to God. God, I'm so sorry for withholding forgiveness of the people that have wronged me and hurt me, Lord. I've just harnessed bitterness and offense, and I'm so sorry. And he just begins to weep and cry in repentance, and it was so powerful. And I, he followed up with me a, a week later, and he said, Chris, I've been tracking down every single person that I was withholding forgiveness from, and I've been extending it to them. I've been loving them and blessing them and working through reconciliation. Guys, the heart of Jesus in his final breath was that we would be one, that we would be unified. It was his, it was the cry of his heart. Because he knows that if, if we actually are shielded from the evil influence of this world, and we actually will walk in this oneness together, there's something inevitable that will start to trickle into our lives in increasing, increasing volumes. We see it in verse 13 here. This is the third thing. Now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The third heartbeat of Jesus, his prayer language, the cry of his heart was for our joy, the fullness of joy. It's the word that Ashley shared from John 16. He says, anything you ask in my name, anything you ask for in the power of my name, I will give it unto you so that your joy would be made full. Do you guys know that the world is starving for joy? I would, I would guess that there are many, 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 many of us in this room this morning that are starving for joy. Do you know that Jesus went for, to battle for you, for me, that my joy would be fulfilled, that literally in other places he says that my joy would be made full. He has a full joy for us, church. Literally, it was one of the last things that he prayed for is that we would have his joy that our joy would be made full. And we know ultimately if you've been around this church for any period of time, if you've been my friend for a week, you're gonna hear me quote Psalm 1611, that in his presence is fullness of joy. Please, babe, I'm serious, put it on my headstone. All I want, all I want on my headstone is Psalm 1611, he knew that his joy was in the presence of God. And church, we've gotta figure this thing out because the world is dying for lack of joy. The world is dying for lack of joy and, we're, and it's chasing it. Perhaps many of us are chasing our joy in all these other places because we're starving. We don't know how to access the joy in his presence that we've already been given access to. He's already opened the way, right? I mean, the, Jesus was brutalized on a cross so that the veil could be torn that opened the way into the presence of God. And he's contending for our joy. He's made a way for us, guys. It is on us to learn how to access that joy. This has been the great pursuit of my life because I didn't grow up with a lot of joy. I didn't grow up with a, a lot of Jesus in my life. I didn't grow up knowing or experiencing the joy of God. And so I searched for my joy. I searched for it in relationships. I searched for it in popularity and fame. I searched for it in substance abuse. I literally searched for my joy in every place that I could find it. And every time I was worse off and more empty and more depressed than when I first went there. 
And I have spent my life trying to emerge from that place and reclaim the true joy of the Lord in my life. And if this is true, that Jesus' prayer for us is full joy and that that full joy is in the presence of God, then the most important question of life becomes, how do I access his presence? How do I access his presence? If you don't know how to access his presence, go read Psalm 100, meditate on it, chew on it, make it your life verse until it gets inside of you. Psalm 100, we read in Psalm 100 things like, come into his presence with singing, enter his courts with thankfulness and praise. It's actually quite simple. Thank you, Jesus, for my life. I'm so undeserving of all the goodness you've poured on it. Thank you, Jesus, that you've taken all my sin and shame away. I was so broken and lost, and you forgave me of just a lifetime of junk, Lord. Thank you for my wife, for my children, for this mediocre coffee that I made this morning. Thank you for everything that is good in my life. Thank you, God, for everything that is good in my life because you have loved me. If we started off our morning with that 30 seconds, I bet the joy factor in all of our lives would go up like this because that would lead us into an encounter with the presence of God and we would find our joy. We've got to learn how to access it every day. And then lastly, in verse 17, I think in a way these things kind of built upon themselves. He's like, Lord, protect them. Lord, keep them. Guard them from the evil that wants to wreck their lives. Protect them, Lord. Help them unify in a common unity where they can share life with one another, where they can walk in the gospel of forgiveness, Lord. And in that place, release the joy that I came to bring. Release it in their community that they would taste and see that I'm good. And then finally, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Verse 17 Your word is truth. The last thing he prayed for was for our sanctification in the truth of God. And I want to invite you guys to stand up and the band to go ahead and come forward this morning because I think that he kind of lands the plane here on this this prayer of, of our sanctification. And the word sanctify and the word consecrate are actually interchangeable. We interpret the same Greek word, we interpret it sanctify and we interpret it consecrate, but it's, he's praying for our, our consecration. And if you've been around church, you're like me, you're like, man, I've, I have no idea what that means, you know? Like I need a good Webster's to really help me understand terms like sanctification and consecration. It's, it's really simple. He is praying that we would be holy. Oh, Chris, that's not really helpful because I don't think I know what holy means. Okay, thank you, Webster. Holy just means, not just means, holy means to be set apart from the pack, to be set apart from what is common. Holy means that in a world of cotton, you are silk. It means that you are literally of a different fabric and of a different nature, that you are in this world of cotton, but you are not of this world of cotton. Are you with me? You are set apart in God. You are sanctified. You are consecrated. You've been made holy. Wasn't that Jesus? He was in the world of common, but he was not of the world. He was entirely different. What was different about him? He was holy. He was godly. He was righteous. He was pure. 
He's praying that we would be of a totally different fabric than this world. And I think that the American church, a lot of our powerlessness has come from the fact that in a world of cotton, we all look and mostly smell like cotton. And we're being called actually to be holy, not to be American. We're called to be different. It's a prayer for our sanctification that we would be set apart and be sanctified like Jesus was. And I just want to say clearly, we are made holy by the blood of Jesus. If you stand in faith under the blood of Jesus, you are already right now, when God looks at you, he sees you as holy. That's who you've been made. But sanctification is the process of us becoming who he already says we are in Jesus. It is us coming into alignment with what's already true about me, and it's that I'm no longer who I used to be. I actually can be like Jesus. I actually can walk like silk in a world full of cotton. I can be different. I hope you're different. I hope we're different. I hope my neighbors that live around me go, man, that Chris guy's different than all the other dudes on the street. I hope the guys at your company, wherever you work, and your employees or coworkers, I hope they go, man, that Bob guy's different than the rest of the professors here on this, camp, this campus. There's something about him. I hope that we are running businesses where our employees are coming, and they've had six or seven employers before you, and they say, you know what? That John guy, he's different than any boss I've ever had. And I know that, the most, that a lot of you guys are like that. You are those men. In a world of commonplace cotton, you're silk. That's the invitation. That's the prayer of Jesus. I've left you in the world. I'm not praying that you would be rescued from this darkness. I'm not praying that you would be rescued from the evil that is encroaching. I'm praying that you would be protected from it and that you would stand like silk, undefiled by the world around you. So on Mother's Day, I just have to say, our moms, our moms are more sanctified than all the rest of us already, okay? So you ladies, moms, y'all get a pass this morning, all right? I'm, I say that tongue-in-cheek, you know. The, the, to be sanctified in truth is that we take the Word of God, we take the Bible, and anything in our lives that doesn't align with this thing, it gets to go. Yeah. And I'm, I am calling on the men this morning. I'm inviting our men, because I believe this starts with the men in our community. And I believe that God has invited us men into a season of consecration I know summertime is usually when we, we hey, let's take, the, let's take the foot off the pedal. Let's relax here a little bit. So I actually feel a strong conviction for our church family. If you call Antioch your church home and you're a young adult man or a, or a family's own guy, whatever, that God's invited us actually this summer to consecrate ourselves and to go hard. So I'm, I'm going to be doing that. I know there's about 15 or 20 other guys that are going to be doing that and pressing in, but I want to invite all the rest of you. Can we throw that slide up here real quick? This summer, we're doing a men's resolution. We're, we're creating small groups, a limited time, eight-week small group studies. There's two different group uh, categories you can jump in to either find more freedom in your walk with God or to be challenged through the resolution for men to rise up and become who you're called to be in God. And so if you're gonna be here this summer and you're a man and this is your church home, you are officially invited to consecrate yourself. We're gonna come alongside you and we're gonna do it together. In Joshua 3, 5, he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
The invitation for consecration today is an invitation to be a part of the wonders of God tomorrow. Guys, men, I believe that God has some wonders he wants to do among us tomorrow, but the invitation is first for us to consecrate ourselves. So men, your response as we sing, you can pull out your phone, you can go to antiochcs.org resolution. If you wanna take that step in, take that step in today. I'm serious, that might be your response this morning. I think the rest of us, we're just gonna clear the space up here, and if there's, there's any part of your heart that is saying, wow, the final breath of Jesus, the final prayer in his heart was that I would be set apart, that I would be different, and you just need to do business with God this morning and say, man, God's inviting me into the greatest adventure of all time. I don't wanna be cotton. I don't wanna get lost in the, in the common. I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna be different. I wanna be in this world, but not of this world. That's the invitation this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. We just pray that you would do what only you can do in our hearts as we respond to your word, to your prayers, to your prayer life. Jesus, thank you that you modeled for us, Lord, what was the most important things in your heart. We just pray you would have your way in us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.